This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Hi, welcome to Tian Tehillim. This class is being sponsored for Baruch Hayim Ben Yaakov, Alava Shalom, who was a Holocaust survivor who escaped to Cuba, where there were very few from Jews, and he was Moser Nefesh to remain steadfast to his Fromkite. Unfortunately, he passed away before he got to America, and his loving daughter, who lost him when she was just a little girl, um, is devoting this class for him because it's his yard site, and um, he was, you know, as she remembers him, he was very loving to his family, very aristocratic, and very loyal to his frumkite. So his neshama should have an aliyah, and he should continue to be a melitz yosha for his entire family. Okay, so this uh, this woman who wanted to sponsor this class for her father suggested that we do Perek Ayin Vav, which is a little different, somehow felt different than the other Prakim that we did. So I'm excited to uh, see how we could learn from this Perek in new ways, in new and exciting ways. Okay, so the background, just to give you a little bit of background on this Perek, it's important to know that uh, I don't like to get too historical and, you know, but sometimes we have to know a little bit of background and this background is actually fascinating. Um, if you look in Malachim Bays in the Navi, you'll see all about this story. I suggest you read it. It's amazing. Um, the story of Sancherev. And what happened was that um, Chizkiyahu was the righteous king of the Jews. He was the king of Shevet Yehuda and Shevet Binyamin in Yerushalayim. And Sancherev, Melech Ashur, had a massive army, literally like 2.5 million men. He was like the world power. And he was on a rampage. He was going, um, you know, conquering lands everywhere, conquering, you know, every, wherever they went, they conquered. There was no such thing. Nobody survived them. And he got to the walls of Yerushalayim. And Hashem made a tremendous nace, a tremendous miracle. What happened was, they got to Yerushalayim. They saw that, ah, this place is going to be easy to conquer. Let's go Let's go to bed, and we'll deal with them in the morning. So they all went to sleep, and when, guess what? Hashem sent the Malach HaMavis, and the Jews didn't even have to lift a finger. The entire army, actually the heads of the army, 150,000 men, died in their sleep that night. Huge miracle. It made absolutely no sense. So the compa- there's a comparison here in this parak being drawn to the war of Gogumagog that's going to happen in our future. This mysterious war that's going to take place before the time of Mashiach against Gogumagog. Uh, the same thing is going to happen. We're going to we're going to find that we're going to be afraid of the war, but then Hashem is going to say, "Don't worry, I'm going to take care of it," and they're going to be decimated miraculously without us even trying. So we see here in this parak. The war of Sancherev is being compared to the future war to let us know what's going to be happening in the future. So, interestingly, whereas we generally talk about the bitachon of David HaMelech, here in this parak, we're going to be learning about the bitachon of the righteous king Chizkiyahu. And we're going to see how his faith brought about this epic miracle. And we're going to learn two new ideas 
that we could take into our life to strengthen our own faith, which as we always discuss and which was as we always learn and which David always tells us, um, that faith has magical powers that transcend any amount of hishtadlus, any amount of effort that we could ever put in. So let's look at Pasuk Aleph. Lam mizmar la'asaf shir. So, mizmar la'asaf, okay? So, for the leader with instrumental music, a psalm of asaf. Asaf here is is writing this parak, is, is composing this shir, this song, and not David. Now, Asaf was actually appointed by David to be one of the singers, one of the main singers in the Beis HaMikdash. And he's actually singing this song with Neginos, with, instru- with instruments. He's really pumping it up and making it exciting and making it big. Why? Because Chizkiyahu, after this big miracle that happened to his people with Sancheirev, was accused of not singing enough praise to Hashem after that big, huge miracle. So here we see that Asaf is trying to compensate for that flaw, for that mistake, by bringing out all the stops, bringing out all the instruments, and singing a very beautiful song to Hashem that's going to include all of the, you know, the he, he talks about the, the grandeur and the might, and the praise of Hashem for doing this unbelievable miracle. It's interesting because the wording, like as I was preparing this parak, it, it took a little bit of more focus and effort because the wording was not what I was used to. Like it fe- I almost felt that David didn't write it. Like I was used to write, you know, teaching a lot of the prakim that David wrote. And here it was kind of different. And I had to like make that shift in my mind and get used to the different kind of language. Maybe you'll notice it too. Okay, the next Pasuk says, No de Yehuda Elokim be Yisrael Gadol Shemo. Hashem has made himself known in Yehuda. His name is great in Israel. So the Gemara tells us, what does it mean, No de Yehuda, that Hashem's name was known? It means that Chizkiyahu was very, very into Torah learning. And he decreed that anyone who didn't study Torah would die as a traitor. And he was very strict about it. So therefore, because of that, every man, woman, boy, and girl was well-versed in the intricate laws of the Torah during under his rule. So literally, no Yehuda Elohim, Hashem's name was known in Yehuda, means that Torah study was so familiar to all the people in under his jurisdiction. Now, the, the you know, what popped out at me here, the message here was that, so, you know, every woman and girl, can you imagine, knew all the halachos, and... It made me just want to give over to you something that's very close to my heart, which is this idea of the power of a woman learning Torah. So what do I mean? Obviously, we're not given a chiv of learning Torah, but I really do believe that because we're not given the chiv to learn, that's that's what actually makes it even so much more powerful as a chinuch tool for our children to see that a mother is interested in learning about the parsha, is interested about hearing what they're learning in school. Um, a mother who sits down with their kids on Shabbos afternoon to like learn a little bit of perkeavos, or go to runs out at night to go to a shir. Any little bit of learning that a mother could do, in a way, to me, is so much more powerful than anything because. For example, think about this. Let's say you give a kid a gift on their birthday. Giving a kid a gift on their birthday is beautiful and it makes the kid feel amazing, right? But 
even if you give the kid a huge gift on their birthday, there's only a limit to how good the kid is going to feel because the kid expects the gift on their birthday. It's like expected. But if you come home on a Tuesday night and the kid comes home from school and you greet them at the door and you say, look what I bought you, and you take out this little cute little sharpener that you bought at the 99 cent store, for some reason, that present is going to mean so much more to them in a way because it's something that you chose. You didn't need to. You're just saying, I just bought it, Stam, because I love you, because you're amazing. So in a way, when when a man learns Torah, yes, of course, it's it's huge and it's major, but it's the gift on the birthday. They have to learn Torah. For women, we're the, ch- the little chachka sharpener. That chachka sharpener in some ways, is so much more of a powerful chinuch message to a child than anything else. Because um, what we it's what we choose to do that shows where our love really is. Okay, so, you know, and when my kids, when they see me preparing my classes, they make fun. Oh, mommy's learning Gemara again. You know, like when you're holding a sefer, they don't know if it's the Archos Sadiqim or if it's a Gemara. So they say, mommy's learning Gemara again, and they like laugh at me or whatever. But I'm hoping that deep down, and I sense, a part, deep down part of me senses that, that deep down they are proud and they feel there's a certain safety that they feel that their mother is not just making decisions on her own. She's attached to something greater and she's, you know, she's coming from that place. Okay. His abode is in Sion. Okay. So the Suko is talking about the Hashem's abode is obviously the Beis HaMikdash and Beshalim this place, Shalem, is referring to Yerushalayim. So just to, so that you could be very educated and sound very smart, in case you didn't know this, very interesting fact here is that the Noah's pious son, Shem, was the original ruler of Yerushalayim, and he called Yerushalayim Shalem, because Shalem means perfection and, and peace and wholeness. But then later, Avram Avinu called it Hashem Yireh, Hashem will see. So Hashem said, you know, what should I do? Should I name it Shalem or should I name it Hashem Yireh? I don't want to make Shem feel bad and I don't want to make Avram Avinu feel bad. So Hashem took the name Hashem Yireh and Shalem and he combined it to create the word Yerushalayim. So interesting fact um, that you could take with you. Okay, Shama Shibar Rishvei Kashas. There he broke the fiery arrows of the bow. So what is this saying? It's saying that, like we said, Sancherov was on a rampage. He was powerful. He was feeling it. He was conquering every single place that they passed. And here, Shama, here, where is Shama? Shama's at the gates of Yerushalayim. Shibar Rishvi Kashas. That's it. Hashem broke the arrow. All of a sudden, the game is up. You know, your momentum is broken. Sancherov, it's the end of you. You're done. You, you, you conquered everyone else, but you can't come into here. So what happened was, actually, just to give you a little background so you can understand the, the greatness of the miracle, when, you know, Chizkiyo got a letter from Sancheira from a messenger that said, I'm warning you, Chizkiyahu, you know, all those other kings got killed. Your God didn't save all the other kings out there. They all got killed from Sancheira. Everybody got conquered and destroyed. Why do you think that you are going to be the exception to the rule. Beware, you're not the exception to the rule and your God is not going to save you. And Cheskyo, of course, did not get uh, put off by this. He just went to the Beis HaMikdash and he took that letter there and he said, Hashem, please 
help us. We need, we need to be the ones where we're going to make your name great. You're going to save us. And then they're all going to realize that you really are the mighty power. Um, now, the interesting thing is that most people in this situation, when they hear such a scary thing, and there's 2.5 million soldiers outside their little, their little city, most people would go into a tizzy trying to recruit soldiers, uh, you know, sharpening their swords, figuring out what to do, they'd spring into action. Or people would probably, a lot of people would probably even give up hope because what could they do? This, they're just this tiny little people, you know, against this massive, massive army. But he knew where his strength was. And he knew what the important thing was. And he knew that his Amunah Bitachon came first and that, and he went straight to God. Now, and then what happened as a result of that, Hashem treated him accordingly, Mida Keneged Mida, and made him win the war without even lifting a finger. Vayihi Balayla, it says in Malachim Beis, Vayihi Balayla Ahu, Vayetze Malach Hashem. That night, a Malach of Hashem went out, Vayach Bamachana Ashur, Meya Shmonim Vachamisha Aleph. And the, the Malach of Hashem killed 185,000 Vayashkimu Baboker, Vihine Kulam, and when the Jews woke up in the morning, the entire 185,000 people were dead bodies, corpses. So this was the massive miracle. Like we say, Baruch HaGever, Asher Yiftach Bashem, Bahaya Hashem Yiftacho. A person who's going to put his bitachon in Hashem, he's going to receive that midah keneged midah. He's going to receive that right back. He's going to, he's going to receive that security in return. So what can we take from this story? How can we, um, you know, use, get onto this bitachon train because it's, it's leading to great places and it's, but it's easier said than done. Like we also, like if something's, if we're up against something, we're going into pushing mode. We're panicking. We're trying to do everything, you know, that we can. And sometimes we forget that the God who was Ose Shamayim Ba'aretz all by himself without anyone's help doesn't really need us. Does he really need your help? No, right? And in fact, you know, we Hashtablas is is said to be Mukrach of a low mo'il. It's necessary, it's needed, we must do it, we must put in our effort of a low mo'il. But the effort doesn't actually do a thing. It's something that we need to do. It's almost like, for example, if you give a Rebbe a check with a box of chocolate on Purim, What's the ikker, right? The ikker, the Rebbe doesn't need the chocolate. He's probably on a diet anyways. The ikker is the check. The check is the part that he really wants. So why do you give the chocolate with it? You give the chocolate because like, just in case the check wasn't enough, let me just like put that extra sweet cherry on top just to make it, you know, to make it complete. So, so too, this is a good, I see this as a good comparison somewhat to um, hishtadlus and bitachon. The primary purpose of all of our hishtadlas is to be the chocolate, is to just strengthen our faith, to take our bitachon. Our bitachon is that big check. That's what's really going to move and shake things. But it's the hishtadlas, it's the effort that we're putting in, you know, for when we're, our, our bitachon is not so strong. We're not so, you know, stark and feeling like our bitachon is going to take us to where we need to get to. So then I need to do my hishtadlas and put an effort because I need to really trust that this is going to work. 
When we trust that something's going to work, it's going to work. So if our trust in Hashem is not enough, we need to add some chocolate. We need to add some of our own efforts. A person who has more more bitachon, more faith in God, needs less effort. A person who has less faith in God needs to put in more effort because whatever we're doing will only come to fruition if we trust that it's going to work. So we need to put in our own efforts to make up for whatever trust in Hashem that we don't have. So we want to access higher levels of bitachon so that we could live easier lives. Like literally, we could put in much less effort to achieve the same result. So just like Chizkyo, who actually didn't lift a finger, he had a sword underneath his clothing of peace. He hid a sword underneath, but he never even needed to use it. All he did was go to the base of Mikdash, told God, please help us. And then Yeshayahu came in, the prophet, and said, God is going to save you. And these people all of a sudden were dead bodies. Literally, that's what happened. So we want to get on that. We want to get to that point where we also could live life in a way that things come easy to us because we're on that higher level of bitachon, so we need to put in less effort. So we're going to explore practical ways of doing this at the end when we finish the Pesukim. The next Pesuk says, Na'ar ata adir. You were like resplendent. Um, Na'ar. Na'ar means that it's from the word ar, light. We're referring to Hashem here as the light that when, you know, at the end of time, just like the time of Sancheirev when you made this miracle, so too also at the end of the time, the illumination, the ar, we call Hashem na'ar, the, the light of truth of Hashem to vanquish huge armies with ease is going to spread throughout the world. Next Pasuk says, Eshtololu abire lev. The stout-hearted were despoiled. The strong, brave men were despoiled. What does this mean? It means that not only did we not have to lift a finger to destroy the enemy, but we also got all of the spoils of the war. We got to take all their stuff. So not only did Hashem save us effortlessly, but then we came out with a prize. So what do we learn here for our life? We learn that precisely when we seem to have lost everything, Somehow that's that's what makes way for, for rebuilding and for great things to happen. I heard uh, Rebbe Zendina Fink, who I listen to all the time, she said a line that I want to just repeat, when we are down to nothing, Hashem is up to something. When we are down to nothing, right? When the Jews were terrified that they're going to lose their life and they're going to lose everything, Hashem is up to something. Suddenly, not only did they win the war, but they got all the spoils as well. And that's how life works. We may need to to reach an all-time low to pick ourselves up and get to places. Things need to sometimes be destroyed so that we could rebuild something great. When something truly great is being rebuilt, sometimes the things before that come before it have to be completely decimated and destroyed. You may need to reach an all-time high on the scale in order to be motivated to, to change your eating habits and lose weight. A person might need a low-lane go through a painful divorce and that could actually lead to new amazing beginnings. But until what was there gets taken away, there's no room for anything else. A person might need to lose a job in order to gain an opportunity of a lifetime. So, you know, a, a line that I want to impart to all of us is a line that I heard from my friend. She actually had a very difficult childhood. And she found herself getting stuck in the past and getting stuck in mourning and ruminating about the way she was brought up. And she learned and she said to herself, wait a second, 
Look at my life now. Why am I looking at then? Let me look at now and let me just anticipate more good things. Like, like my life improved so much since my childhood. So much more is going to improve in the future. And she told me, she says the line, the best is yet to come. And she uses that line to get herself out of the past and to take herself looking forward and looking ahead into the future. And we should also use this line to pivot away from our negative places. Whenever we're thinking, if you're thinking, I feel so lonely and down lately, the best is yet to come. I got another call from my kid's principal that he got in trouble. The best is yet to come. My bank account is in the red. The best is yet to come. Now, don't say that while you're shopping for a fur coat. But if you're in the red, you got to work on getting out of it. But obviously, you know, when you when you have a, a positive line like this, it helps you to get out of that stuck place in the moment and project yourself already into the future and, and access that bitachon. So this is a, a nice tool to use. We're going to learn more tools at the end, another tool at the end, but this is a nice one to be able to pivot and turn from your stuck negative state and say the words, the best is yet to come. Okay, we're going to skip, I don't know which Pasuk this is, but it's, I forgot to write down the Pasuk here. Uh, Mishamayim, we're going to move, skip to Psukim and go to Mishamayim Hishmata Din. In heaven, you pronounce the sentence. So Yeshayahu came and said, everyone's going to be saved. And, and just like he, he announced that everyone's going to be saved in the time of Sancheirev and that the Taka were saved, also in the future during Gogumagog, that same announcement is going to come out then too. Um, Eretz Yara Vishakata. The earth was numbed with, the earth was fearful and then they got calm and quiet. What does this mean? So the Radak says that all the enemies who, you know, who were thinking to come fight against Kal Yisrael, they were, they were, when they saw this massive miracle and how all of Sancheira's men were killed and, you know, in one second, they were fearful. Yara Vishakata. And then they were quiet. And then they said, you know what? Okay, maybe it's not such a good idea. Maybe we'll just stay where we are and we won't go attack them uh, so that we don't, you know, have that same fate happen to us. And, you know, sometimes we think in our life that we think that things are going to go on forever. You know, if, a person, if we have, if people have, a, maybe the Jews were thinking like, oh no, Sancheirov's here, like we're never going to be at peace. They're always going to come fight us. But we have to recognize that Hashem has that power to just, Stop all the wars, and that's what's gonna. Ha- that, that's what happened then. That Yara Shakata, nobody else came to bother them because they saw the huge miracle with Sanhedrin, and that's what's gonna happen in the future in the War of Gogumago. Once Hashem brings out that huge miracle, the entire world is gonna know. Everyone's going to recognize Hashem. Nobody's going to come bother us anymore. The same thing. So there's a comparison here between that war and the war in the future. And the lesson for us in this present moment is that when we think, you know, we're in a difficult time, we have this thing in our head, like we think it's going to go on forever. We don't see it ever ending. We don't think of it ending. So, you know, the, the, the lesson here is, Yara Vishakata, 
all of our enemies, all of the issues and the challenges that are coming, they could all end up quieting down. Hashem could make a miracle and they could all just stop. And that's why we say the best is yet to come to show that we trust in that happening. And we know that Hashem could do anything and that good things are coming, even if I'm in a difficulty right now. Skip the next pasach. So when, you know, we're saying when Hashem, when you perform these great miracles, even the most wicked, angry men, the biggest enemies are going to be led to praising you. Nadaru v'shalmu l'ashem elokeichem. Sorry, Nadru. I don't know why it has a patzach here. Nadru v'shalmu l'ashem elokeichem. Make vows and pay them to the Lord your God. So, actually, what does this mean? Make vows? Uh, you know, we're not allowed to make promises. We're not supposed to be making promises, but the Kitzer actually says... A person can make a promise when 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 they're in when they're in an asara. Just something interesting to consider. When a person is in a difficult time, you could take on a a, a new Kabbalah and say, I'm doing this so that this person should have a Rafa or so this person should have a Yeshua. It's a nice thing to do because it actually, like, for even for ourselves, it just feels good to make meaning out of the pain and to actually use the, the Tsar to get ourselves higher and better and, and to grow from it. So to conclude, we spoke about, you know, just we gave some little small lessons on the side about Torah learning for women and how beautiful that is for our children to see and how it makes such a impact on them because it's something that we chose to do and it's not something that we have to do. And we also said that it's an Indian, here we said right now, that it's an Indian to make a vow and an asara. And we gave a lot of beautiful lessons, but the main ideas that we focused on, and just that, those are the ones that I want to review. The first thing we said was that bitachon comes before hishtadlus. Hishtadlus is the chocolate. Bitachon is the check. The Hishadlis is secondary and it's there just to get our bitachon to a, a place where it needs to be so that we could bring about what we want to get. So how do we do this? And I, we asked in the middle of the parak, we said, how practically speaking can we get to a higher place in our bitachon so, we have, so that we can put in less effort and live better lives? And the way we do this is by, and we give, you know, I give you a lot of, tools and tips on how to strengthen bitachon. This is a very good one that I never taught you before. And it's basically, it's it's called making a declaration of trust. You're going to make every day, morning and night, a very short declaration of trust. So how does the declaration of trust go? Basically, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to say, what do I not like? And what are three changes, positive changes that I want to see? So let's say a person is sending their kid back to school and their their kid had, you know, learning issues and behavioral issues for the past, you know, who knows how many years. And they're worried. They don't want this to replay itself. It's so stressful for them, right? So what they're going to say is, that you know, what do they not like? So they're going to, you know, you're going to single out this issue and they're going to say three changes that they want to see. So let's say this woman says, I want to see my son waking up on time. I want to see him focusing in class and I want to see him doing his homework. So what you're going to, what she's going to do is she's going to make a declaration of trust and she's going to start off saying, uh, you know, a, basically a trusting statement like this, like I trust that Hashem is taking care. Let's say her son's name is David. Okay. So I trust that Hashem is taking care of putting David on the right path this year. 
Okay, so that declaration of trust of what she does want in a general way. And then she's going to go to her specific line items, right? What did she say? She said she wants him to wake up on time, to focus in class, and to do his homework. So pick three changes, okay? Because if you pick too many, it's going to be too hard to remember, and you might not end up doing this statement. So you want to pick three changes. So she, and then she's, what she's going to do is she's going to use very enthusiastic, exciting, strong, positive language to talk about how these three things are happening right now. Now, to express her intense belief that these things are going to happen by talking about it as if they're happening and by getting herself into a feeling state of having that happen now, because that's how you attract what you want. So she's going to say, I love seeing David wake up on time every morning. I'm excited that he's concentrating on his lessons and his Rebbe's giving me such great reports. I am so proud of the way he comes home every day and right away starts doing his homework. That's it. That's your declaration of trust. You're putting yourself in the state of the Yeshua right now. And when you say these exciting words, like I love and I'm excited and I'm proud, it gets you into that good feeling state that draws in that similar thing into your life. So again, you start off with that line, that general line of what you want. I trust Hashem is taking care of putting him on the right path. And then you give those three lines with positivity and excitement um, you know, specifically delineating what you want to see this coming year. Uh, another example, somebody's having financial distress. So she would say, I trust that Hashem is improving my finances. I am so grateful that I make more than enough money. It's awesome to feel like I can buy whatever I want. It is so exciting to have the new bike that I've always been wanting, to finally have it. Basically, morning and night, you would make this declaration of trust, and I want you to obviously customize it to whatever you're going through, whatever issue you're having. You could definitely reach out to me if you need any help with these tools. Uh, you could contact me through my website, yalbertram.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. I love your questions. I love your comments. I love connecting with all of you. Uh, first and foremost, I enjoy connecting with people. So that's why part of a huge part of why I love what I do. So please don't hesitate to reach out, and I would love to be able to help you with this. Um, and remember to just every morning and every night say this. And like we said before, during the day, if you're getting into a funk, if you feel yourself getting into a, a stuck place, remind yourself to transcend the current moment and say the best is yet to come. There's no time like the present. There's, there's really no time like the present to work on strengthening our bitachon to become closer with Hashem, and to and and we're gonna and that's gonna really help us feel like when we get to Yom Kippur. Like, we, we have that close connection. We have that special Kesha. Like, Hashem, you know, we have that thing going on between us. And it's going to make us feel more secure going into the new year with this added level of bitachon. Thank you all for listening.